Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. A fantastic college career at the University of South Carolina and now already has begun this glorious day in Indianapolis with a welcome from Tyrese Halliburton at 5 o'clock in the morning and now joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. She is the number one overall selection in the 2023 WNBA draft to the Indiana Fever and Aaliyah Boston joins us now to discuss exactly that. Aaliyah, let me be the first to say that welcome to Indianapolis and I think the city's going to be happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited. Now, are you half asleep? I would be half asleep because I would imagine, like, did you get any sleep at all? I mean, I think I got about two hours. (laughs) Well, there's probably a little bit of extra spring in the step, but let's, I want to begin with this. Um, Just your overall reaction. I think everyone knew you were going to be the number one player selected. Did you, you know, you you never, I guess, want to count the chickens before they hatch, but did you start to kind of look in even ahead of time about the Fever franchise, the city of Indianapolis, and what this all was going to mean in terms of you fitting in here? Yeah, I mean, I looked at it definitely ahead of time, but just like you said, I didn't want to get too excited. I just wanted to kind of do the wait, and even in the moment when they were calling my name, my heart was like racing. <laughs> but everybody says Indianapolis is very cool, so I'm like very excited. Ali, I know one of your former teammates plays for the Fever. Not sure how familiar you are with the city at all. Do you have any connections here? What do you, what do you know about Indy? You know, just with Henny, but I'm excited to have, uh, what is it, a fried, what do you guys do? Fried pork tenderloin. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, look at, look at that. Boy. Okay. You got your talking points <laughs> down here. Thank you. Thank you. I worked hard on that one. <laughs> for those that did not watch a whole lot of South Carolina, and obviously it was a hell of a season for you guys, and you know, winning the Thank national you. title the year prior, and you know, national player of the year, the accolades speak for themselves. How would you describe your, your your style on the floor? Yeah, definitely physical post player. I think I do a great job of communicating, bringing energy all the time, but you know, being that inside presence. You know, do, do you know Grace? Eight hundred feet. Aaliyah, do you know Grace uh, Grace Berger at all? Of course. What do you think about her game, and uh, how well do you know her, I guess? Yeah, I mean, Grace and I played together on USA, so it's pretty exciting that we're going to be teammates um, again in this aspect, so I was really excited. But I was telling Grace that she's a mid-range bandit. Like, that's just, <laughs> she does that so well, and so I'm excited to be able to play with her and watch her do that again. It's now, amazing. Now, I don't want to totally give away your complete, like, you know, whereabouts right now, but <laughs> but now you're driving somewhere, clearly. Uh, yeah. Everything, can we help you find anywhere? No, well, right now, I'm going to Good Morning America. Oh, wow. Look at that. Okay. It's just a slight upgrade over our dog and pony (laughs) show here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, good Lord. We aren't even the JV game. We're we're the freshman game, and Good Morning America will be varsity Don't mind us. Hey, I'm curious about this, Aaliyah. Um, The reality is this. You know, you lost, I think as a senior in high school, you lost a game, right? Mm-hmm. At the University yeah. of South Carolina, I think you lost, what, a total of four games and five games maybe over the years? Yeah, I think I think so, something like that. So, but, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Right. So, 
and this is a good thing, obviously, you're used to winning. Yes. You're coming into a franchise where winning has been very rare. Mm-hmm. How do you adapt to that? You know, I just continue to do what I'm doing, what I've been doing, bring that type of energy. But, I mean, I think this year is going to be a winning year for the Fever. I just think we're going to do a really great job. We're gonna Everybody's going to mesh together, and I'm really excited for it. Your childhood... You moved, if I'm not mistaken, at a young age, um, yes. far away, you know, to Massachusetts. Yes, I, I believe U.S. Virgin Islands, is that correct? Yes, correct. And basketball, I'm sure, was a big part of that. You went and lived with family members to, to kind of increase your level of play, I would assume. Yes. How yes. much did that mature you, to be away from your mom and dad, to, to just kind of uproot into a totally different environment for the game itself? Did Do you think that that played a part in kind of your elevation as a leader as a basketball player i definitely do i feel like i grew up really quickly um you know just moving to the states um and living with my aunt uh she just helped us to be able to grow up my sister and i and so first at this moment i think it's helped me become the leader that i am just because i know how to use my voice and i'm confident in it she is Aaliyah Boston. She's on a real show coming up later this morning. That would be Good Morning America. We're the warm-up act. Yeah, but she is gracing us with her time here for a few more minutes. Um, Aaliyah, if you don't mind, describe yourself off the floor. What are your hobbies? What are your interests? Yeah, I'm definitely a homebody. So I love just relaxing, hanging out with friends, watching Netflix, maybe going to the movies. But I'm pretty chill. Um, I'm not really picky about anything, but yeah, except I don't like pickles. Oh. I hate pickles. Okay, I, get, I could probably get but behind that. Um, obviously, a, a huge chatter in the last week around the women's game centered around what we saw in the national championship, and I'm sure a bit of a sour taste for you in, in what happened in the national semifinal. But what did you make of all the attention that the Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese back and forth got in the national championship game? I mean, I think it's just, um, one, just good engagement, definitely. But, I mean, everybody's been watching. Everybody is talking about it. It's just going to continue to grow the game. And I think it doesn't just stop here. It's going to continue next year. And I think everyone, everyone's fan base is just going to continue to follow them, whether they stay in school or they head to the pros. Now, Aliyah, my last question for you here. Um, you know, I live in Indianapolis. People here are not fans of the Patriots. You went to high school in Massachusetts. I, I'm not a huge Yankees fan, but I prefer them to the Red Sox. Your last name is Boston. Oh my I'm a Clemson fan, and you played what? at South Carolina. Now, can we come to a, a, a peace treaty over a tenderloin? We're going to have to because we have a lot of differences. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, so you, you have not been to Indianapolis really, I'm assuming, right? I mean, I'm assuming you came no, through I here haven't. for basketball events, but you've not yes. really done Indy, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, Tyrese Halliburton welcomed you, which I thought was very cool. We look forward to yes. seeing the two of you become the face, respectively, of the two franchises in town and hopefully bring a lot of good basketball and good work around the city. And we are certainly, I think I speak for the city of Indianapolis in welcoming you and saying that we look forward to seeing what you can do on the basketball court for the fever. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. A lot of Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
discussion last uh, segment about the Colts potentially straighten up to number three and you know the debate that Arizona obviously will have. And if I'm Arizona, I'm waiting until you know two minutes are left on the clock two weeks from Thursday just to make sure we field all the calls and get as big of a trade package as possible. Um, on that Texans front, again, I don't think there is like a clear report out there, but given the, again, explosive nature to Deshaun Watson and how his relationship with the Texans ended, C.J. Stroud's agent is the same as Watson's agent. David Mulageta is his name. Destin pointed this out to me. Um, Mulageta reps over 40 guys in the NFL. He has nobody on the Texans. Of the 40 guys, how many different teams are they on? I uh, just scrolled through the list it? right now. Browns, Rams, Saints, Chargers, Titans, Cardinals, Seahawks, Falcons, Panthers, Dolphins, Commanders, Bengals, Packers, Colts, Lions, Cowboys, Raiders. I mean, seems to call seems to cover a lot of the bases. So, again, I, I don't want to act like there is some like huge report out there, but I think when you talk about how the Watson thing ended, the fact that this is a quarterback, it's a franchise-altering decision. I would think if I'm in the Texans organization, it's a discussion that you have to have. Here, here's a better question, Kevin. You you have always said that as an organization, if you have a quarterback that is your guy, you go get him, right? Does that – do you go get him regardless of who his agent is? Yeah, I – I, I would like to th- hope and think the relationship could be mended, but I just remember back to that Watson thing, Jake, and David Mulighetto was such a pub. It was borderline Rosenhaus and right. how public his comments were about it. This was not, you know, whatever, CAA or other agencies that might play a little bit more close to the vest. So, yes, to your point, but boy, this is a, it's a pretty unique situation. So, We'll see how the Texans handle things here coming up in a couple of weeks. The other thing I, I think, I wonder about this, and I don't mean it's a conscious thing, but Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard's a general manager that I think you'd say is average, came in, was thought to be the greatest thing since sliced bread was billed as like like you know it was like oh man this he comes in you know with high praise and you know this is he's the bright young star of general managers and i think we know the track record and ballard always kind of had a way to to kind of smooth his way out of critique i'll give him credit for that and I think that Chris Ballard, and I'll give him credit for this as well, I think he was more, for the first time after last year, he had no choice. But for the first time, he showed some humility. And I think people liked that. I think people liked the fact of like he was willing to say, you know what, uh, I, I I made some mistakes. And that was a, I think people welcomed that. And I think we are a society that likes to forgive. We like to build up, tear down, and then forgive, right? And I think people kind of forgave him like, okay, they liked that humility. But I think he knows deep down that 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 the spotlight's never been brighter, that the heat of those light bulbs has never been more intense than right now because the true measure, the true test, the true 
boulder in the stream of a general manager's career is a franchise quarterback draft. Not trading for one, not signing one as a free agent, but drafting, cultivating a young franchise quarterback. And I think he knows that a lot rides on this year's draft. And I also think he knows that because of that, you need to put yourself in position to take the player that gives you the best chance to succeed and let that pan out for you. But is there a small part in the back of his mind, and I'm being very Freudian, not even consciously, but does he have, does he back away from the edge of the diving board when he really thinks about it in terms of trading to move up based on the fact that he knows that if he moves up or gives away assets to move one or two spots, then that is tipping his hand that there is a player that he is willing to put his future pieces on the line for and thus magnifying the pressure on the magnitude of that particular pick as opposed to just staying at four, playing it safe, and then if that player is not the one that pans out, it's like, well, we were drafting fourth. I don't know what you wanted us to do. That Those other guys weren't available. If you, if there is not a certainty and not an absolute can't-miss prospect of those four quarterbacks, and if those four quarterbacks are there because or, or are high on the list strictly because there are quarterback need teams drafting high – if he knows that, does he say, you know what, I'm going to stay where I am because I believe the swing and miss potential is the same for all four. So I'm not going to risk. I'm not going to – I can more subtly swing and miss if I stay at four, but if I move up to three or two – not two, but if I move up to three and then I swing and miss, then, it sh- then I am confessing that that's a player that I – absolutely thought I had to have as opposed to a player that I had to take because that's the one that was there for me. Uh, boy, he would have to have an absurd amount of blackmail on Jim Mercer to get away with another swing and miss. Um, or just, I would say, another miss. You could argue how big of a swing he's taken at quarterback. I mean, no matter if it's 3, 4, or 10, this decision will decide how long he is here no as general question. manager. So I, I don't think like him staying at four would all of a sudden in Jim Mercer's eyes mean, oh well, he's not really trying fully. He's I'm not. Just kind I'm not saying trying. that, but is it in the back of his mind of this to exactly what you just said? Yeah, Th- this pick is going to make or break me either way. So uh, so I need to make sure that I have as much supporting cast and stability around this pick as possible by not surrendering assets and pieces. You could look at it that way, or you could look at it as I want to make sure I get the guy that I want. You know, you could probably look at it. But Kevin, here's of, but here's my question ways. for you. What you just said, I've got to make sure I get the guy that I want. What if Chris Ballard knows deep down that the guy that he wants ain't in this draft? What if he's looking at it going, none of these four guys are guys. There's a difference between like, you know what I mean? Like when you go to a Christmas tree lot to get a Christmas tree and you bring home the tree and people are like, that's the tree you picked out. And you're like, well, it's not necessarily the one I wanted, but it's the only one that was available. I'm not because 
this was just a bad year for Christmas trees. It was the be- it was one of the best Christmas trees on the lot, but they weren't as good as last year's Christmas trees because they're just it wasn't a good year for growing trees. Probably shouldn't have waited so long then. Yeah, that that's probably a good way to put it. Mark. No, but what I'm sitting no no no, but I'm saying, it, what if they say what if the what if the farmer in in Vermont says this was just a bad year for Christmas trees? These are the best trees that that are available out there. And you're like, well, but those aren't as pretty as last year's trees. And and they and I read the farmer's almanac, and next year's trees are supposed to look really pretty. And the farmer says, that's great, but you're screwed because you need a tree this year. And this is the crop that we came up. We didn't have a lot of rain this year. These are the trees that you have to pick from. I would say you're probably going to be picking in the top 10 next year, too. So you can take a quarterback this year, and then you'll probably be in the same boat next year. Yeah, I think you got to look at it and say, um, first of all, I, I don't look at the quarterback's in that light. Um, but I think he might. I think you have to realize that Shane Steichen needs something to work with. I, I get and that. it would be a disservice to... But Kevin, what I'm saying to you is, what about the possibility that Chris Ballard is not enamored with this class of quarterbacks? Right. I just would disagree with that. Um, I, I, I think given the quarterback play, the quarterback turnover, I should say, the offensive play from last season, and the fact that you have not won a division in eight years... You just went four twelve and one. Um, you've been really the laughing stock of the AFC South over that time when everyone in the division has won the division at least twice in that span. You have to try. You have to take a again, chance and give Shane Steichen. Again, I totally understand that they have painted themselves into the corner where this is the year they have to take a quarterback. No argument. What I'm saying is, do we have definitive proof that Chris Ballard believes that all th- all other things given that this is the year that he would want to take a quarterback i guess we never have definitive proof because why would he publicly say that but again you're at a point in the franchise where you you have got to try and give your quarterback centric coach a chance to develop somebody because again you you, you truly never know until you get these quarterbacks into a professional football setting um they're a bust all all throughout the top 10, whether it's a number one overall pick, and there's hits at all different points in the top 10. You know, you look at the seven quarterbacks that were in the playoffs last year from the AFC, I believe five of them were drafted outside of the top four. So it's not just like you you get the guy at one, you get the guy at two, and he's an automatic hit, or vice versa. Just because you draft him outside of the top four doesn't mean that that guy isn't going to pan out for you. I mean, last year... Over half of the quarterbacks in the AFC were taken after the first four picks. So um, I don't think it's one of those things where just because there isn't a Burrow, there isn't a Luck, there isn't a Lawrence means all of a sudden there doesn't mean you can't find a quality quarterback that you give Shane Steichen a chance to grow and develop. Again, I I don't disagree with that, but what I'm saying is I think that we are under the assumption because we think that C.J. Stroud, I think C.J. Stroud's a dynamic talent. I I can't speak for, you know, Chris Ballard has a different eye and, and a more trained eye. I mean, admittedly, than, than me or you or Mark or anybody else. I mean, we don't know exactly what he's thinking in terms of how much he values, but he knows he's painted himself in that corner. Jim Irsay in particular has painted him in that corner by basically saying, you could tell that Jim Irsay has basically said, look, the, the whole like one-year rentals, over. Carson Wentz was was the big one that that changed everything because it was like okay, it, it, we took our shot with a guy that we thought, you know, everybody knew Matt Ryan wasn't going to be here more than two years at the most. 
So the, the time is now. Everybody knows that. Mark, is it Beck? Yeah. Uh, Beck, want to talk some Chris Bauer. What's up, Beck? Hey, guys. Uh, love the show. Thank you. Um, I, I'm, I'm more along the lines of, of kind of agreeing with, with Jake. I've thought that ever since uh, Ballard made the trade back comment, um, I think he's exactly in the position that he wants to be in because he didn't want to trade up to be ahead of Houston because if he makes the wrong pick there, then he has to live with that of Houston maybe having a better quarterback. But I think if he stays at four, then he's able to just sit back and say exactly what Jake said. Hey, what did you want me to do? That's all I had available to pick from. So I think he's he's kind of positioned himself as he always has to have an escape route, for lack of a better term. But I just think that's the way he's headed his direction. Beck, I think he gets fired whether the quarterback works out at two, three, or four. I mean, I, I don't think it matters too much where you're drafting the quarterback after six years of the resume that he's well, had. I agree with that. He, he's lucky to have a job at this point, and now this is the final straw. And obviously, he'll get a couple of years to watch this quarterback situation play out. You know, it's not like if they go whatever three and thirteen, three and fourteen next year, all of a sudden Jim Mercy is going to fire him one thousand percent. But to me, it has little to no bearing on where you draft within the top four. If the quarterback works, Chris Boward's going to be here. If the quarterback doesn't work out, he's not going to be here. The thing for Chris Ballard that would make me uneasy, Bill Polian, Kevin, was a gruff individual. By his own admission, Bill Pullian was not warm and friendly. He was difficult to deal with. He had everybody inside of the building walking around on pens and needles all the time. He was immediate combustion at any moment. But he drafted Hall of Fame players. He drafted some of them on day two or three. He built a team that went to multiple conference championships and won a Super Bowl for this franchise. And yet, at the very first moment that there was a dent in his approach, Jim Mercer fired him. Now, there's a lot that went into that. Part of it was Bill Polian just kind of like announcing that his son would take over for him whether or not that had been cleared with ownership i don't know but there appeared to be this regime of autonomy that jim mercy began to resent but the outward kind of prickly nature of bill polian is in my opinion a big factor as to why when jim when it came down to it jim mercy went with his gut instinct and ran him out of town even though they get along well now, but with that resume that was put him in the Hall of Fame, he couldn't survive the fact that Jim Mersey resented the way Bill Polian treated people within the building. Ryan Grigson. Ryan Grigson had Andrew Luck. I think Ryan Grigson makes very valid points as to some of the things that went wrong with Andrew Luck and whether or not Ryan Grigson was 100% to blame. But in the end, a big part of why Ryan Grigson was relieved of his duties is because a survey group 
brought in by Jim Ursay, told him that people in the building were uncomfortable with Ryan Grigson. Chris Ballard. My understanding is within the building, very well liked. At first. Everybody loved him. Southern drawl, gentleman, batty eyes, nice sweaters. But as time has gone on and the production has not been there, Kevin, what do you hear now when people talk about Chris Ballard? A little bit arrogant, very sure of himself, kind of dismissive. To be fair, I don't really hear that from many, if any, people in the building. That's what I said. Within the building, well-liked. But eventually, if the track record is not there, like anything else, that stuff starts to turn and and it starts to to stick to you more and more. You certainly hear more of it within the community and the fan base than you did three. The fan base three years ago, everybody loved him. Now people are like, ah, he seems kind of like a, like he's pretty full of himself, da, da, da. To your point, admittedly, I do hear within the building that people like him a great deal and he's a very nice person. So... I think for Ursay, the dynamic of how he is viewed within the building is very important. And has that extended his leash? You talk about six years of zero production. Is part of that because he has the benefit of coming off of two guys that Jim Ursay looked at and said, those two guys created atmosphere that my employees didn't like working under. And at least in his case, people enjoy working on And has that extended his leash? And therefore, so Ballard, does he have this dichotomy where he's like, okay, I, people like me, so that, that's, that's a good thing within the building and the way that I go about my business. But I also know that I have to get this right because I need football results to back up the sentiment about me. Because at some point, that's Jim Ursay himself is going to take a look at it. Or is Ursay running out of patience? I mean, you know what I mean? Is Ursay looking at it saying, I like this guy. And Jim Ursay's been a cheerleader for Chris Ballard. But is Jim Ursay willing to extend that beyond if this quarterback pick doesn't work out? No, I mean, if it doesn't work out, Ballard's gone. 1,000%. And I think Ursay's comments last Does Ballard week, know that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's not. I, I don't think he's an idiot. Um I think Ursay's comments two weeks ago at the owners' meeting told you everything you need to know. For the first time in Ursay's tenure as owner with Ballard as his GM, he stopped short of saying this guy's going to be in Canton one day. He stopped short of talking about Ballard as a Hall of Fame GM and has to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And the upper quartile comments that he made back in November, I think deep down he knows those are beyond ridiculous. And if you look at it in more of a present-day, five, ten-year window, the Colts have not sniffed any of that. So I think Ursay. I'm not saying Ballard is on some hot seat that's scorching. He's going to be gone next year. Obviously, you get multiple years with a young quarterback. But if you get to a point where you know this young quarterback is not working out, Ballard will be gone. The upper quartile comments were not lunacy, Kevin. They were awesome. <laughs> They were uh, they, they were incredible. Uh, but then didn't he call Chris Ballard Michael Jordan? I don't think he's doing that anymore. I, I would agree with that. There's no doubt that that there's no doubt that that Chris Ballard's smooth ride on the airplane is probably hit a little bit of turbulence. Whatever. You know how many shots Michael Jordan's missed? You know how many games Michael Jordan's lost? It's got to be a lot of shots missed. In all honesty, 
Yeah. But again, not a lot of makes in the Ballard camp. That's that was what was confusing. You know to what me I about say about him. Michael Jordan though, Kevin? His last game as a bowl against the Utah Jazz, he was seventeen of thirty seven, and nobody talks about the twenty he missed. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Half past eight in Indianapolis, Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. It is, Kevin, we keep saying it every break, right? Could it be more perfect outside? Absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) And again, this is all week long. The Indians could not have a better week to be at home in the month of April. Remember like the 60-degree deal? I think they're going to be paying for that this week. Have you looked at the weekend forecast? Uh, Actually, Saturday's not bad. I was going to say, it really is through Saturday, right? And then Sunday, it starts to go down just a little bit. Rains a little bit, yeah, but... I mean, Jake, you're going to Long Beach. Boy, these next couple days kind of look like it. Totally. It's exactly what it looks like in Long Beach. Sunny, 70, not a cloud in the sky. It's beautiful. Uh, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel A. Erickson joins us from the Indianapolis Star. Good morning, Joel. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it is going well. Local Pro Day yesterday, you were there in attendance. Jake and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, besides the Colts, which other teams do you think rank on like the bottom end of the local Pro Day talent around the NFL? Oh, that's a good one. Um, probably, like... The Raiders are probably a little bit in trouble now that they're in Las Vegas. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, That's not a good not one. really a big program. Not really a big program there. Um, trying to think. Who we else thought you know Green Bay, place? probably a little bit of Buffalo. How far is Madison from Green Bay? I think I think Wisconsin. I think they get I think they get grandfathered into Wisconsin. So okay. that probably helps. Because you know, right, outside of that, because the Colts don't get Notre Dame, they don't get Ohio State, but they get. Illinois. I mean, I know I, Fighting I Line. I had like a good year see, this year, but I would love to see the coverage maps because, like, uh, on these local pro days, because I do feel like I feel like the Colts are probably probably should be able to like get a ton of Midwest like big time prospects. Uh, be- just because it's not that far, like it's local, you know, like you know, Columbus and Ohio State are only you know what two and a half hours away. That's local for me. I was looking at a map yesterday, and South Bend is like 20 miles further than Champaign from Indy. And I think it's based off where your complex is as well. Not to get like too technical with it, but the fact that the Colts complex is on the west side obviously gets them a little bit closer to Champaign. I'm I'm going Broncos, man. Unless Colorado or Colorado State has good players. what, What I mean? Yeah, but like, I don't know. Is the Denver high school scene decent? No. No, 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 no. no. Because if you look at the Colts Pro Day yesterday, the best players that were at least on the list are indie high school kids that have gone on to play elsewhere. 
It's Dewan Jones, yeah. the Ben Davis product at Ohio State. Emil Echior, the Cathedral kid down at Alabama. You know, Juju Brents, the Warren kid at, at Kansas State. It's not like it's Indiana, Purdue, and Illinois kids. I always thought that when I covered the Saints, that the Saints have such an advantage because they get both LSU and New Orleans proper high schoolers. Yeah, no kidding, Boy, man. That I mean, good. Yeah, <laughs> Reggie Wayne, Peyton Manning. Okay, let's go. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They get. They get. They get to just like reap all the benefits of the local pro day. Yeah, Arch Manning at your old uh, your old pro day there isn't isn't too bad. Hey, Joe, Kevin and I have talked a lot about quarterback. You know, for the last month probably. Um, Give me a name or a position. More like year. Of somebody, yeah, no kidding. Of somebody that the Colts could be looking at after they select a quarterback in the first round. Well, they desperately need a cornerback. You know, and I think I think that the uh, the one guy for the local pro day that was kind of obvious just because of the way he tested and the way he fits kind of with the the way Chris Ballard has drafted was, was Juju Brents yesterday. He didn't work out, but he He's a big there. dude. Yeah, really big dude. And sort of like, I can't remember who it was, but one of the other writers was saying, like, like if you were trying to build a Gus Bradley corner, that dude is basically it. <laughs> like, in terms of the size, and then and he's got all the all the speed and the, and the explosiveness that um, Chris Ballard likes. So, like, they, but they, they absolutely kind of have to get a cornerback. Um, and that one, that one people have been talking about really ever since the combine. Like, he started testing, maybe before the combine, but he started testing. It was like, okay, he's hitting all all the benchmarks for a Chris Ballard-type player. Yeah, I, I was looking at him yesterday and thought, gosh, is that guy like a small linebacker? I mean, he was a um, he was a pretty impressive-looking dude walk, uh, watching off to the side. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, I think some of the big news yesterday around the NFL was Adam Schefter's report about the Cardinals sitting there at number three. I believe the report said six teams have inquired about trading up to number three. Uh, what do you make of that, and how do you feel like Arizona will handle that here over the next – two weeks and two days and probably take it all the way to the final minute of draft night. Yeah. Arizona made it clear at the combine that they want to trade out of that pick. Um, and so they, if they like, they're, they're, they're trying to replicate, I think sort of what the Colts did in 18, you know, when they traded down from three and, and got that big haul of picks that, that they were able to turn into something, you know? And, um, and so I, I think the Cardinals have made it very obvious that they want to do that. The, the interesting thing I saw yesterday in some of the reporting is just there's this feeling now in the NFL, and who knows? Who knows if this stuff is right or not? It, everyone says, as everyone says, it's lying season. But um, there's a lot of momentum that Carolina, uh, that people think Carolina is going to take Bryce Young now. And the, that's that's not necessarily the interesting part. The interesting part was I read was reading. Albert Breer, and I've seen this bandied about elsewhere too, that if the Texans can't get Bryce Young, there's a chance that they could pause their quarterback search until next year. And, I mean, if you think about that, if you think about somehow there's only one quarterback off the board and the Texans pick is up for sale or you get to the Cardinals pick and I guess you assume C.J. Stroud is the target, there could be a real feeding frenzy on number three. Yeah, who knows? Who knows again if that's what's actually going on, or if the the Panthers have settled on Stroud? But it, that that was a really interesting. I thought, like I was reading that, going, that's the way this draft gets really interesting, really fast. Is if the Texans don't want a quarterback. 
Yeah, we were talking about that earlier a little bit with C.J. Stroud. I don't know how much you've delved into the agency situation there. David Mulugeta and Deshaun Watson's agent. Again, I don't... I don't want to act like this is like gospel, but I do think it's an interesting point to bring up. Mulaget is a guy that I don't believe has any Texans clients, and we know how the Watson thing ended. He is representing C.J. Stroud. Um, You would like to think you could mend some things there, but um, I I do think it's something just to monitor because it seems like there is a little chatter building on the Texans not taking a QB. Some of that might be it's April 11th. We've beaten every other draft storyline into the ground, so here's another one that's a little fresh, but that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I I think that's where this draft goes like into crazy mode is if is if the Panthers take Bryce Young cuz everyone going back to the combine that was that's been the, the the belief is that the Texans see Bryce Young as as the guy in this draft and if they don't feel that way about someone else the Mulligan thing is interesting too just because that's I mean he's he's got a lot of clients but he does have a lot more clients and if that's if that's really a hard and fast no going going forward for the Texans, like I both understand to some degree why you would feel that way, but also, man, are you hamstringing yourself? Sure. Uh, if you're not ever going to have those clients, because he's got a ton. By the way, I wanted to Joel A. Erickson's our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. I wanted to clarify this for those listening uh, who may not, because I think we we're assuming that everyone would know what it means. So for either one of you guys, let me give you my interpretation. You tell me if it's the accurate means of it. When you were talking about how the Colts had a local pro day, that simply means a a showcase or a workout that by NFL designs is open for collegiate players that play within a certain parameter of the NFL franchise or players who played from a high school level and were are native to that exact same satellite area of the respective city. In this case, obviously, Indianapolis, meaning Indiana-Purdue players or players that played elsewhere collegiately but were centered in Indianapolis before that. Correct, yeah. yeah. And, and every team has that, right? Yeah, and there's a general radius, as Joel was saying, um, that you draw around your... I think it's your team complex, and I mean, understandably, I I know the Colts have been very upset by this NFL rule and the disadvantage it creates for other teams. I mean, that does seem like, to to Joel's credit, like, or you know, to your point, Joel, like New Orleans, like, okay, yeah, sure, great, Um, yeah, you know. But anyway, I mean, like Miami, Miami, like, there's that's such a recruiting hotbed. I mean, how about the Falcons? How about the LA schools? Like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The LA anybody teams. who's in a recruiting hotbed, like you, just get to bring in everybody from the from from those uh, from those areas. That's that's pretty big advantage. I mean, Carolina, yeah, you're getting like right. I mean, all those guys that, out of North Carolina and Clemson. And hey, Joel, um, I want to go back to the point you were making about kind of the topsy turvy nature of you know Young and Stroud and the, the the fluctuation at number one and possibly Texans not taking at number two. And, Maybe this is me grasping at straws, but are we starting to see more evidence that, in fact, as they get more and more run through the ringer, that teams are wondering whether or not there are four franchise quarterbacks in this draft? That's a good question. I've, I I, I kind of spent some time yesterday and today reading around like what people are thinking, and, and 
we're, we're really in this part of the draft cycle where I, I don't know kind of what KB was saying earlier. Like, have we just talked about the draft so much that we have to talk ourselves into something else or is, or is some of this real? You know, um, like I keep thinking about like the Justin Fields draft when, you know, when the draft cycle started, it was, it was Lawrence and Fields and Lawrence and Fields. And by the time it was done, you know, he was, he was like, it was, it was Fields might be on the outs in terms of the, the, the top, top picks. And that actually turned out to be true. But I know there's also been stuff that's gone the other way or, you know, the Jordan Love situation is another one. Like that one, if you remember that draft cycle, everyone was talking about Love as like, is someone in the top 10 going to take him? Is somebody in the top 15 going to take him? And they didn't get taken until the 26th pick, something like that. Um, and so it's it's so hard to tell at this point in the draft cycle if what you're reading is real, not real. It's just it's it's just really hard to tell because you know there's there's obvious attention on the quarterbacks for an, for a very good reason, but it makes it it makes it so that you get guys who are pumped up. We the same thing happened last year. We at this time last year, we were talking about like, okay, there's probably not going to be as many quarterbacks in the first round, but there's definitely going to be two, right? And then after Kenny Pickett came off the board very late in the first round, uh, no one came off the board again until the third round. So there's there's also that chance, too, that we're talking about all this and the rest of the league is going, oh, we don't like these guys as much as you do. I, I don't think that's the case here, but it there there are some surprises with the with the quarterbacks just about every draft cycle. And I think a lot of it has to do with how much attention there is on it and how much that drives conversation. I think we saw that with Desmond Ritter a little bit last year, but certainly we saw it with Malik Willis um, and how far he fell as well. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, this is not the most sound logic by any means, so I'll, I'll preface it with that. But if the Colts start like Gardner Minshew for 17 games next year, I it, to me, they're going to win six-ish, seven games, something like that. They aren't going to be drafting necessarily in the top five. So part of me thinks, like, take a swing at quarterback. If it doesn't work out, and again, assuming you start that quarterback, then boom, you're drafting really high next year, and it's not like you've mortgaged your franchise a ton. Yeah, I mean, you've spent a high draft pick and it didn't work out, but you haven't put you know money into that guy. You haven't put you know five draft picks into that guy. It, should that be any sort of logic a team should have, specifically the Colts, instead of like, yeah, we're not going to take one, we're going to start Minshew, but then all of a sudden we're going to be back here in 2024 and we're not going to have the pick that's as high as it maybe could be? That's that's that, that's an interesting point. Um, I think I think the part of it that I, that I I think is probably true is. Um, you know, if you're an NFL team and you pick the quarterback in the first round, uh, you shouldn't necessarily be tied to that person if you don't believe in them and somebody else comes along next year. Just keep taking them. You know? <laughs> um, if you don't have a quarterback, you might as well just keep taking them. And now I, I think, I do think you need to give these guys, give these guys some time, but there's also some situations like Josh Rosen is probably the most obvious example where they draft a guy really high and they pretty quickly are like, wait, this isn't going to work. Um, and and if you if you're in that situation, like you shouldn't you shouldn't double down on the quarterback just because you drafted him high. Like you said, I mean it's a it's a high draft pick that's wasted, but you know you you have a chance to make up for it. And if you if you make up for it, all you all you've lost is one year as opposed to three. I think that's one of the things that's the most 
interesting thing to me to see, like the way people have been talking about this pick, is they're like, well, if they trade up and they don't draft it, they've wasted the next three years. Or if they, you know, they, they if, if they, like that's true no matter what they do at quarterback. If, if you don't, unless you're taking one next year, whoever they pick, if they, if they miss on this, you've cost yourself the next however many years of, of franchise building because Jim Mersey was saying this out at the owners' meetings two weeks ago. Just once, once you're on this highway, there's not, there, does, there don't appear to be a lot of exit ramps for a while. Outside of the scenario you're describing where, you know, you end up in the Cardinals situation, you have another high pick the next year in the right quarterback draft. You know, when I look, Joel, at the Colts roster, and, and the more I think about this, I know you got to have a quarterback. I get it. But, you know, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, certainly Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, for sure. One thing all those guys have are playmakers. They have guys that if they get them the football, they can turn it into additional yardage in space, and they can be a threat, and defenses are scrambling as to what to do there. Colts don't have it. I mean, I know Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield is one, but in terms of open space receivers, I think Pittman's a nice player, but he's not an open space speed threat, at least in my opinion. How deep do you have to go in the draft in, in, before you, when you say to yourself, now we can't get that? In other words, can you get a guy like that in round two, three, four, or do they have to wait another year if they're using the high pick on – let's say, a quarterback and then a corner. You're talking about the yards after the catch guy? Yeah, I'm talking about open space, dynamic, stretch guys. Um, you can definitely get those guys in the second round, for sure. I mean, Debo was a second-round pick. Uh, a bunch of those, Cooper Cup was a second-round pick. Yeah, uh, E.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. Yeah, this draft, though, is interesting because this is the first time in like the last, basically in the entire time I've been covering the NFL, which is which is close to a decade now. This is the first time that people are like this draft class uh, at wide receiver is not deep and not not uh, as good. There's there's playmakers at tight end. I don't know if you're the Colts though. Um, I guess you could. I mean, you could definitely double down with Jelani Woods if you felt like you had another tight end prospect there and just went heavy on tight end. But Jelani having Jelani Woods and some of the stuff we saw from him last year. Like I think that he's one of those guys who maybe could be maybe maybe not necessarily the run after the catch guy, but there were times last year that you're like, man, if they could just harness all all that and do that, you know what? Uh, I can't remember who the who were they playing when he had eight catches or whatever. Like that that year that that game, you're like, man, if they can maybe. Do this every week. Yeah, if if if, he, if they can do that every week, like that that's a guy who might be able to be the kind of next-level playmaker you're looking for. Now, you could double down on tight end. The more I, the, I said that at the top, I started saying you, you wouldn't necessarily want to do that, but you could. I mean, we've seen teams do that before. Um, and tight end is kind of the position in this draft that people think is really, really good, is, is the position that is super deep in the, in the weapons department as opposed to wide receiver, which it normally is. Yeah, to that point, I, I will be 
not mad at all if they take a pass catcher very early, but I would side with the probably receiver over tight end, which I know doesn't match up necessarily with the draft depth um, in this class. Like you said, Joel, it sounds like tight end over wide out here in 2023. All right, last one for me, Joel. This time last year, you were in the midst of reporting a Kenny Moore contract dispute. Um, Any news on that end slash anybody you're watching contractually this offseason? I'll throw out Michael Pittman, more to do with if and when he'll get a contract extension heading into the final year of his rookie deal. But anything on the Kenny Moore front and anything that you're watching besides that? Nothing nothing on the Kenny Moore front. I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily foresee anything like that. It's harder to – after the season the Colts have, you have guys – you don't necessarily have as many guys who feel like they're in that position of strength to do that. Sure. Pittman is obviously – Pittman is obviously one. Taylor is the other one. Um, and Taylor's contract is going to be so interesting because of the way running back contracts have gone. Um, those are the two that I'm, I'm watching. But they also have – the Colts have also, in the past with those guys, kind of said, let's wait until the summer's over. You know, we've seen those deals in training camp the last couple of years. And so I wonder if that's what we're going to see is, is you know – in training camp. Pittman is interesting just because wide receivers are getting paid so much. Jake kind of alluded to this already, but you know, there's, there's some question I think of, of, you know, what level to, to what level do you pay him? That kind of thing. That one's going to be very interesting to hear what he has to say on it, what the Colts have to say on it, but they typically haven't really gotten into this in depth until they get to training camp. Like I think Pittman's a good player, Joel. I do. But I think Pittman, on the offenses that we see that are winning a lot of NFL games, he's a two or three, right? I mean, he's a very reliable over-the-middle possession receiver, and he does make plays for them, no doubt about it. But I just feel like a true number one is the guy that gets behind a defense and can and scares the hell out of people with big chunk plays at any I, possible moment. I I don't think okay, this is going to be a hard thing to I don't necessarily think I I agree that that's that's the ideal is the guy who can get the behind the defense. I don't necessarily think though that you have to have that you can't get that out of some of these guys who don't necessarily have like the top throttle gear if if you if you're using them correctly and they get to the right level. Like Cooper Cup is a good example of somebody who like what he did in that Rams year, there was a lot of chunk plays and everything like that. I, I don't necessarily think you think of him in the same way you think of, of Jamar Chase, but he had that kind of season. Michael Thomas in New Orleans before he was injured had that kind of impact if it wasn't down the field. He had that number one wide receiver impact if it wasn't down the field. I think it's I think it's harder, um, and and it's it's really hard to find the guy who can do all of it and I think that that's probably the thing we haven't seen yet is like Alec Pierce we know he can go deep like do we do we know he can create after the catch do we know he can have the volume that you need from that receiver Pittman the question is obviously because Pittman Pittman is better after the catch when he's got space than I think we remember yeah I'd agree they haven't they just haven't had that 
I mean, last year's passing offense was such a disaster that it's hard to take anything. That's fair. Like, I mean, it has I mean, he's been had probably pretty bad quarterback play. Yeah. I mean, Philip Rivers, obviously, the and then... Season, the Philip Rivers season, a lot of the stuff that Pittman did were these little crossing routes that he turned into a big game. Yeah. You know? That's fair. He runs like a freight train in the open field. It's just give him more opportunities in the open and, field. And that's, 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 maybe, that's maybe the hardest thing with Michael Pittman Jr. right now is like, is what we've seen from him all of what he's capable of or is he capable of a lot more and it's everything that they've had going on at quarterback and the passing offense the last two seasons is that keeping us from seeing more from him now I will say I felt like last year he had a lot of missed opportunities in big moments I think he would probably say that too and you want to see that from him but I I keep thinking back to that some of that stuff we saw run after the catch wise as a rookie and thinking if they get the right offense together, and, and who knows, they, they might not do if – they're, if they're getting a young quarterback, who knows if they're going to have that this year, and then you have a really hard decision going into his, his contract year. But, you know, how much with, – with Michael Pittman, to me, that's the question. Is, is it that Michael Pittman has this ceiling, or is it that the offense has held him back? I think also you got to point out, and I know this isn't necessarily a ringing endorsement for Pittman necessarily, but so much of your roster moves here moving forward needs to be about supporting this young QB. And if you just let a guy like Pittman walk, what is that wide receiver room and trying to support him? Because right now, Alec Pierce, you know, I think it's fair to say early on, but you know, more of a one one trick pony type of guy. Um, rounding out his, you know, route tree and everything would be well, especially very and especially you wonder, especially with you wonder if. If what we saw from the free agent class this year with wide receiver, if that's the way this is going to go, if it's going to start being more and more of teams keeping their own guides and you're going to have more and more of these bad free agent, it was a bad wide receiver free agent class. I, I was, someone was asking me like, why haven't the Colts invested more there? And I was like, who, who was the guy you wanted? Um, you know, there, there were some guys that, that I think are helpful on like a, you know, more of the level of, of the, where people think that you know Pittman is and that kind of thing, but I don't know that they're like who was the who was the big time guy that Jake's talking about that was available in the free agent market. There there wasn't one, you know. And are we going to see more of these free agent classes? So if you to your point, KB, if you lose a guy who's productive, who a quarterback can can depend on, can you fill that with a veteran, or are you drafting somebody? And then the, then for the quarterback, it's he has to bring along another young guy. It, there, there's some complexity there that I think we don't know and need to find out about what's going to happen with wide receivers going forward because this this free agent class in general for all positions, but especially at wide receiver, made me wonder if we're going to start seeing a seat change there where it's, you can't get those types of guys on the open market anymore. Joel, great stuff. We'll uh, see you out there tomorrow for uh, Shane Steichen and company. Yep, sounds good.